This is the Cycling Over 60 podcast, episode 5. Is my bike good enough? And I'm your host, Tom Butler. Hello. Welcome to my journey to complete the 206-mile Seattle-Portland bike ride organized by the largest statewide bike club in the nation, Cascade Bicycling Club. I am now 86 days away from showing up at a University of Washington parking lot and seeing if I can make this. There is still a lot of information I would like to have before I ride, so I need to have more people on to talk about the STP. Shout out to me, I am very close to hitting 1,000 miles. That is a satisfying achievement. I do want to keep up or even exceed my current training level, so it'll be interesting to see how soon I can do the next 1,000 miles. People talk about the SDP as being a fairly flat route. That is one reason that I'm even attempting to do it. If it was a bunch of hills, I wouldn't be able to make it for sure. However, there is one hill. STP people call it the hill. I am a bit intimidated by the hill. It is in Puyallup, Washington, which isn't too far from me, so I went over and drove it. It is more steep than anything I typically ride. I wouldn't feel safe riding the hill to train on it, but after searching for some time, I found what I think is a good ride to train for it. It is a ride up to Mud Mountain Dam, which is a U.S. Army Corps of Engineers flood risk reduction dam and a recreation facility outside of Enumclaw, Washington. The STP Hill is 1.5 miles with a 316-foot elevation gain. The Mud Mountain Climb is 3.5 miles with the last mile covering 313 elevation. Over the 3.5 miles, it climbs 578 feet. So, I do see this as a good training ride. I have only ridden it once so far, and I really struggled, especially on the steep parts, and I had a really hard time maintaining my heart rate within range. That caused me to step off the bike at least five times. I have to admit, I stopped counting at one point. It took me a whopping 36 minutes to do the 3.5 miles, so I have a lot of work to do for sure. I am currently taking the time to train and putting in the miles. While it is slow, I do see improvement in my strength and endurance. But there's one important aspect of the ride that I feel I need to figure out. How do I make sure that I'm maintaining my bike in good enough shape to handle all the training rides and the 206 miles? The truth of the matter is that I am not even sure that my bike is really good enough to last the whole ride. Now, I love my bike. It is a Trek FX3. I see it as a relatively cost-effective bike. The biggest thing for me is that it's so comfortable to ride. But a bike that is comfortable and can't make it through all the miles, well, that just isn't going to cut it. I was able to get Adam Leopold, the service manager from Trek Tequila, to come on so I could ask him the question, is my bike good enough? Here's the interview. I am joined today by Adam Leopold, the service manager at Trek Tuckwilla. Thanks for making the time for this, Adam. Yeah, no problem. I see Trek Tuckwilla as my bike shop. 
I don't know if anybody else feels a personally, you know, ownership of the bike shop, but a lot of it is that I always feel like I've been treated exceptionally well there. And I can ask really uninformed questions and I've always found people to be really understanding, you know, and I, I think today would probably be a continuation of me asking uninformed questions. So I appreciate you taking the time to, to fill me in on stuff. First, tell me a bit about what you find enjoyable about bike mechanics. Yeah, I I mean, I've always been passionate about bikes. So moving over to the bike industry has been a wonderful experience. You know, I'm excited to wake up and get to work every day. So uh, see and meet new people that kind of share the same, you know, interests that I do. I love the problem solving of being a bike mechanic. People bring in bikes that need work and, and need, you know, fixing. And I figure out what's going on with it and give it back to them in better condition and hopefully as good condition as when they first bought it. So what would you say about innovation in the bike industry? Is it, is that pretty interesting to see? Yeah, it's, it is exciting to see like new products as they come out and they're, they come out all the time. Um, and being like one of the first people, you know, in the area, uh, to see the stuff, like we just got a new cargo bike, you know, Trek announced a cargo bike earlier this year. We got one in three days ago. Um, we built it up. We went out for a test ride on it. And, you know, it's it's quite the experience to, to ride around in a cargo bike. It's definitely different. That's um, cool. It's fun. That's cool. Yeah. I'll have to stop by and see it. It's yeah, really definitely. Fun. Now, I am, you know, preparing to ride the SDP. You're familiar with the SDP. And I have challenges, uh, physical challenges I'm trying to overcome. Uh, the biggest thing is I'm slow, you know, so I feel kind of bad for everybody that's riding me, riding with me that they have to go at my pace. But one of the things that I don't know, you know, I'm not very mechanical and I don't know bikes as well as you do, but is there, you know, is my bike good enough? I ride a Trek FX3. And so it's, is that bike good enough? So I'll ask some more details detailed questions here but just out of the gate would you what would you say is that is this bike going to be good for me i mean i i think the fx3 is a great bike you know it's our fitness bike in the hybrids so um it's definitely more sporty than other hybrids um you typically get a more road style gearing with it so you can definitely go quick and it's going to keep you more comfortable than say like maybe a, a racier road style bike because you're going to be more upright. It's going to be better on your neck. Definitely keep a better eye of the road. So yeah, I think the FX is a great bike. Those are some of the things for me that I made the switch to the FX3 was I, I want to use cycling as the way that I stay fit for decades. And yeah. I had gotten to the point where just uh, I needed a more upright position to be comfortable. And it has really delivered on that. I'm really... You know, when I get done riding, um, did a 60 mile ride on my 60th birthday, which was cool. And at the end awesome. of that, felt really comfortable and going for out for 80 miles here in a week or so. And I, you know, I think it's, it would make a huge difference having that positioning than if I it was in another bike. So that's cool. Can you talk a bit about the FX3 frame design? You know, when you say fitness bike, when you say hybrid, what's you know, what's the difference about that frame design? And then maybe a little bit about the materials of the frame of the FX3. 
Sure. Fitness design, like it's it's definitely like a hybrid bike, so it will keep you more upright. You know, compared to our road bikes, which are designed for like drop bars, it's meant to be a more approachable bike. You know, easy to get on, get off, and for all people to find enjoyable. So, you know, it's going to be a little more sportier than like our Verve, which is our comfort bike in the hybrids going to be more designed for like roads than say our dual sports which is uh more of our trail gravel type bike in the the hybrids as well definitely going to be quickest out of the hybrids you know like i said before it's got that road style gearing and it has uh what trek calls the alpha aluminum which is a very lightweight aluminum um it has the the carbon fiber fork so um definitely helps to smooth out the ride when, when you talk about the the alpha aluminum yes it seems like that is I, I, do you know how long kind of the current version of their uh, aluminum frame how long that's been around because it seems like that's uh, that's touted as a, a pretty significant uh design advantage yeah I, I don't know the exact time frame when it came about but there's definitely been a lot of technology advances in aluminum uh, recently. So, you know, they're able to shape it in ways that they weren't able to shape it before. Um, they're able to, you know, because of that, they're able to save weight with it. So it's actually very competitive with carbon fiber. Yeah. And it sounds like it has some dynamics to it, too, that they were able to achieve that are more similar similar to carbon fiber. Yeah, exactly. So that's cool. I don't, you know, I, I don't know if I would feel that maybe someday i'll come down and jump on a full uh carbon fiber fx and yeah you know i can't imagine that i'm attuned enough to the feel of it that i go okay this is carbon fiber if you blindfolded me or whatever yeah but it is cool and and i'll I'll actually put a link to uh in the show notes about trek's website where it talks about their their technology with the frame with aluminum frames and you did mention the carbon fork so yeah fx3 they they do put a carbon fork on and i'm i'm curious what's you know what does that provide what um why make that decision to to put the carbon fork fiber fork on there yeah um like i said it it's carbon is a natural like dampening so it does eat up some of that you know the shocks that you can feel from from the road aluminum naturally is a stiffer material and so uh you would you would definitely notice more of an impact on your hands um having an aluminum fork versus that carbon fork so the carbon fork does help give you a more comfortable ride it does lighten it up a little bit um probably not enough to to notice but Mm -hmm. um you know, it does kind of help in that aspect as well. That sounds attractive to me when I think about, you know, 206 miles over two days. Yeah. To to have something that, you know, does have some absorption to it. Yeah. Is taking some of the bumps out. I've never ridden that long. Okay. I rode a century one time a long time ago. And so again, I don't know. I, I wouldn't notice the difference because I wouldn't have anything fair to you, but I'm I'm really attracted to that that aspect of the FX3. Now, I currently weigh 225 pounds. I am hoping <laughs> my design is that I'm going to get down to more like 205, but it's really stubborn. 
And I've put almost a thousand miles in now of training and I've lost five pounds. So yeah. <laughs> I'm starting to, I'm starting to wonder how I'm going to do with that. You know, I'm just curious is kind of where does that weight um, limit come in before you start having to think about a, a different frame or material or whatever is 225, like a, you know, no problem at all. Or how would you look at that? Yeah. 225 is no problem. You know, um, I believe most of the Trek bikes are rated for 275. Okay. And I definitely have seen bigger people on bikes than that. Okay. Um, we actually have a pretty regular customer that started over 300 pounds and he's lost, I think, 90 pounds since wow. he started biking. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's got a pretty good story. He's got it on YouTube somewhere. That's cool. I could probably send that link over. To Honestly, the, the biggest thing that kind of gets affected are the wheels. Um, okay. The wheels kind of take most of the impact of that weight. Um, so you'll probably notice more like broken spokes once you kind of reach in you know, the, that 300 mark. So what about the wheels on the FX3? Can you talk about them a bit? Um, I mean, there are, I believe those are the connections that are on there. Um, they are, you know, a solid choice. Definitely, you know, made to be be able to take some abuse and, and be able to, you know, ride for a long, long time. So, um, they're supposed to be bulletproof. So I've okay. not, not seen too many issues with them. Right. So, yeah. And I, I wonder if, you know, kind of a, a fitness bike like the FX three, if you expect maybe people abusing it more. <laughs> yeah. I, I imagine they probably took a lot of that into account. Like, you know, a lot of times these are people's first bikes. And so they don't know, like, you know, the proper ways to like maybe put it in their car. And so right. they can take a little more impacts and, and abuse than say, some of our, you know, dedicated race bikes would take. Yeah. Yeah. I just have to say I backed a bike rack into a tree once with a bike. Okay. Rack. So <laughs> I know the feeling of making mistakes with the bike. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, you know, it was just a matter of, of retruing the wheel, but, sure. uh, <laughs> but it didn't feel very good. I've, I've been there myself. Okay. I've, I've taken a wheel off to put my bike on top of my car on the roof rack and drove off over my wheel. <laughs> oh no. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we all make mistakes. Thing is to learn from it or to learn from others. So and I imagine you're in a position to see mistakes. Yes. <laughs> People bringing, bringing things in. Yeah. That exactly. Mistakes. <laughs> and I, I do my best to assure that I've been there myself. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. The FX3 has no front derailleur. And yeah. there was a long time. I bought my first track in 1984. It was a Trek 1500. It had aluminum right there on the frame. Yes. Because, you know, that. That was an advancement. And then I didn't get a new bike for a long time. Sure. And so there's a lot of advancements that I just, you know, don't know anything about. But when I was looking at the FX3, I was, I was kind of skeptical about no front derailleur. Okay. I, I would have to say now I'm a big fan of it, but I, I'm wondering about that shift. And it seems like there's been a lot of shift to, to know front derailleur. So from your perspective, what's that shift about? Well, I think just the capabilities of the rear derailleurs come a long ways. Like they're able to cover much more gears and, and 
you know, a wider range of gears. And so you could do a lot more with a single derailleur um, that you couldn't do back in the day, as well as, you know, that front derailleur tends to be a little more finicky. You can get a lot of cross chaining. You can get a lot of redundant gears. So eliminating those those gears that are overlapping gives you kind of a a nice crisp drivetrain that you know will function a hundred percent all the time so yeah i think my brain is getting trained to just have one derailleur yeah i don't know how long it takes before you just lose the the instinct of shifting your front derailleur but but it's uh I, I really like it now and i've never found a situation where it's like man i wish i had more gears yeah I don't climb my, my fitness level is such that, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to climb. And so I, I don't know, maybe I would, I would find that I, I needed another gear, but yeah, for now it's, it's, it's an awesome setup for me. I'm wondering about the, the brake system. Um, this is another aspect, you know, mechanical versus hydraulic disc brakes. The bike that I had that I rode before the FX3 had brakes on the rims rim brake. <laughs> rim brake. Yeah. and so can you talk a bit about disc brakes and the advancements and what to take in consideration with disc brakes you'll see it in the, pretty much the whole industry is kind of moving towards that way you know disc brakes just give you a better stopping power and then hydraulics is even better on top of that with rim brakes you know they do damage over time with wheels and I, I was telling a customer earlier today actually you don't have to replace wheels as much anymore you know the part that gets worn out it's the rotors and then you could just replace the rotors you know those wheels are lasting longer because of it um you know i don't see as many broken spokes and maybe just wheel design itself is just getting better but the wheel is taking a lot less impact from you know those brake pads over time and stopping power like having reliable stopping is crucial in, you know, the pros and the pro pelotons noticing that as well. So, you know, you don't see anyone with rim brakes these days. So is that particularly the case, like where we are in the, in the Northwest and a lot of wet weather, is that, is that a factor that that's really helpful? I, I think, you know, having rim brakes up here is, is much more crucial than having rim brakes you know somewhere where it's dry all the time and and it's flat and you know i remember several years ago when i did a ride and i was riding carbon fiber rim brakes uh, it was it was terrifying wow holding my brakes for dear life and was not slowing down one bit um <laughs> it takes getting your rim dry first before the brake pads would actually grip the rims gotcha and at that point, I was just hoping that everyone else around me was doing the same. Otherwise, right. we were all going to have a bad time. Right, right. Yeah. Interesting. Doesn't seem like disc brakes are something that is easy to retrofit. Is that basically a bike upgrade if you are if you decide you, you want to make that shift? Yeah. I think there's some adapters out there, but, you know, I, I can't say how they will hold up. Ideally, you want to have a frame that you can mount those brake calipers on. Um, that way they're not twisting or turning or, or breaking over time. So um, you want that sturdy stopping power. So you could potentially replace the fork and at least have a disc braking up front. That would probably be the quickest, easiest way to do it. But you'd still be left with 
you know, that rim break in the back, if that's the case. Right. Right. Looking at hubs, what makes the difference between a good hub and an adequate hub? Probably just your bearings, bearing quality. And I think wheels have come a long ways. Like mainly I see mostly the Bontrager wheels in here. So I can tell you that they're much better than the wheels I had, you know, a few years ago. So I think uh, wheels have definitely improved a lot, you know, quality wise, uh, manufacturing wise. So like materials, the the bearing materials, are they different materials? Is that? Uh, you've got. You got like metal bearings and you got ceramic bearings. Honestly, you know, I think metal bearings are, you know, do a great job. And, you know, I don't think I will ever ride ceramic bearings. It's just the cost of them doesn't make sense to me. Okay. And yeah, bearings and bearing qualities have, have gone up a lot. So I was talking to my riding partner, who is also my son-in-law, okay. who's also a mechanical engineer. And oh. so, you know, I was talking about frame weight and he was saying the sdp is relatively flat you know weight is not going to be as much of a factor as like your bearings in your hub yeah and so that would be more of something to look for than than weight and which i thought was a, a relatively good way of talking about it yeah and so what about the bottom bracket is that something that are they bulletproof pretty much is it something you need to be careful with what are some of the things that you need to take into mind to not damage a bottom bracket they're not bulletproof you know keeping the bike clean goes a long ways you know once water and dirt and stuff kind of penetrates those seals then they can kind of you know corrode away at those bearings or or wash away the the grease that's in there and then that can start doing damage over time you know, ideally, you, you bring your bike in for a tune-up, make sure that someone professionally looks over the bike and, and make sure that, you know, the bike is is still rolling good. But as long as you're, you know, keeping your bike clean and, and well lubricated, you know, that goes a long way. And then just checking to make sure everything's tight. You know, things do kind of loosen up over time, you know, and so just making sure that, you know, your crank's not getting loose to give the opportunity for, you know, those seals to kind of separate or you know to get dirt or or anything in there so and so kind of riding in maybe muddier conditions that's maybe something needs to be looked at more often yeah definitely you know i i come from the roadside um i've got you know most of the other people here in my shop are mountain bikers and so i see them like diligently cleaning their bikes all the time and i'm like dang this is why i don't become a mountain biker because i can't do that (laughs) right but yes you know cleaning your bike after you know if you if you go through some mud and dirt and i don't say don't go through it that's half the enjoyment i think that's why i got into gravel riding is to get dirty but you know when you do you know it's best to make sure you're washing your bike and, and getting it properly cleaned back to lubricated. The FX3 has Shimano Dior components on it. Yep. And that is a name that seems to be, have been around forever Yeah, as, as a quality uh, component set. Do you have, you know, what would you say about Dior and the reliability, you know, is that definitely something that is a good set to do, you know, 200 miles and, and all the training that, that goes up to it? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, Dior's, you know, in the, the Shimano lineup, it's it's definitely, you know, 
Shimano, I don't think is going to put their name on something that they're not going to stand behind. So I think Dior is a great set of components. I would check your chain regularly. Make sure that your chain's staying uh, within the limits because once once you go past too far past, then it can start doing some some damage on your cassette or your chain rings. But you know, as long as you're you know checking your chain. Um, and you should be able to get, a, you know, a couple thousand miles out of your chain. So, okay. Would you be hearing that if you're, if you're, if your chain's out of alignment, it's kind of, it seems like you would hear a difference with that. Is that not necessarily the case? Not necessarily. I wish I had the tool in front of me, but it's like the difference between like a good chain and a bad chain is so like unnoticeable that it's hard to tell. Um, without having a proper gauge to, to kind of measure it. And so you said how many miles? Um, uh, you should be able to get, you know, several thousand miles. Okay. Um, it kind of depends on the person, how, yeah. how they're, you know, caring for the bike, how much power you're putting out. I was changing my chains probably once a year. You know, I probably don't do it as much as I do now, but I'm also cleaning my bike and oiling it a lot better nowadays. Okay. So, okay. and I don't... You know, since working in a bike shop, I don't ride as much as I used to. <laughs> That's too bad. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's still at that point where somebody could, that most people could make a decision to ride the STP and mm-hmm. have enough time to to train for, for it. If I'm looking at an old bike that I have in the garage and saying, okay, uh, do I need to upgrade if I'm going to, you know, do the training and put 200 miles on this? Are there some general things that you could advise people to look for? It's like that, you know, this, this is time for you to, to move on to a new bike. Is, is that, is that too broad of a question? I would get it inspected and make sure that it's mechanically functioning. A lot of times you're going to need like parts and labor to get it back to into shape. Um, if, if that cost starts to, to outweigh the, the cost of just getting a new modern day bike, you know, you got to factor that in. Uh, comfort, I think, is also a big factor. If you're comfortable on that bike and it's mechanically sound, then I don't see any problem. You know, if you wanted to pull a, a bike out from the 70s, that's lug steel and, and whatever. If, if you're comfortable on it and it's it's fully functional, I say go for it. You talked about advancements happen in the bike industry. Yeah. If your bike is, you know, it seems like if it's 10 years old, then there's been a lot of advancements. You know, is that the same five years old? Is is it worth like at least looking and saying, okay, what advancements are out there? I think so. You see it more kind of in the mountain bike side, like geometry changes a lot. Technology changes a lot and they kind of lead the way and it kind of feels like it trickles down over to the roadside. So you know, you're seeing more one by drive trains on the road in hybrid and it all kind of started over on the mountain bike first. Mm, interesting. Now I modified my bike by putting Ergo brand grips on, on the handlebars. And in order to do that, I needed to swap out and put the bars from the FX2 on FX3 because the ISO zone on there okay. wasn't accommodating those bar, those bar, those grips. I'm wondering you know, I use those a lot. Okay. You know, if I'm climbing, I'm out on the bar ends. I'm putting a lot of torque on that. Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, are the bars made, you know, that that's no issue at all 
put that kind of torque on them? Is there something to t- take into consideration as far as that is concerned? Yeah, they sh- should be solid for you. I don't see any reason. I mean, as long as everything's tight, yeah, it should hold up. Talk a bit about the ISO zone. I, that um, is a really interesting, you know, I'm imagining a lot of people don't know about it, but there is actually a an insert Mm -hmm. in part of the bar that is specifically meant to absorb shock yeah that's a to me a really interesting thing to you know to put out there yeah i don't know the full details on it all um you know my bars on my drop bar have iso zone as well so they've got like a little indention and then they've got a little pad of a foam that goes in there and keeps the bars feeling round while having some some padding you know that's more of a an engineer carbon you know person or um you know someone over in the manufacturing department than than myself but the hands is one of the main contact points of the bike so you know those being comfortable matter a lot that's going to matter on how long you're going to be able to ride you know how much you're going to be able to to endure i think that's specifically the case i mean this this whole effort i'm on you know cycling over 60 is about the stp but also about icy cycling as a particularly good way to stay fit you know after you're 60 you know there are more issues with hands as you get older and so i think finding those uh, advancements kind of those design advancements that give comfort i think that's a pretty significant thing i'll be interested to uh, to hear from other people you know if, what they're doing to keep their hands comfortable because like you said i do think that's a huge thing i'm planning to bring my bike down for a complete tune-up before sure. the sdp i i bought it last november okay and so you know i put about a thousand miles on it i need to and i actually i think need to pick up my my training pace and put more miles per week on. So I'm kind of wondering what would be a good, you know, the STP is in June, June, the weekend of the 15th. I'm sorry, July, the weekend of the 15th yeah. of July. And so I'm wondering when, when do you think it would be a good time to bring that in? Sooner the better. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Business will start picking up, you know, the closer we get to STP. We, we definitely have had people bring in their bikes the day before saying, hey, we're doing STP. Or like, unfortunately, so are 30 other people ahead of you. So we can't really bump you in line. So the sooner the better. Um, it sounds like you put a lot of miles on your bike. So, you know, being able to see what's going on with it early and, and make sure that we get it back to you and everything's functioning as well as you want it to function um is super important so well i might be there monday okay um, uh we're closed on mondays oh that's right that's right yes well i might be there tuesday okay <laughs> i'll get a good definitely. long ride in on monday and then yeah, yeah. tuesday that's probably definitely what what will you do what what all do you look at you yeah know, tune up like that it kind of depends on on uh like how much you've been riding sounds like i said uh we we typically recommend after 25 hours of riding to do our level one package you know after 50 hours we recommend the level two and after 100 we recommend the level three okay it all kind of depends on the user and how well they're caring for their bike uh we'll we'll put it in the stand we'll give it a, a check over um bike industry calls it m check we we go over the wheels you know the the headsets, your cranks, uh, bottom brackets, you know, make sure it's shifting, 
Uh, we'll check your chain, all that stuff. And then we kind of give you an evaluation of what uh, we think needs to be done. And then we, we get the okay from you on if you want to proceed with a, our recommendation. I hope I'm not getting a grade, like how well I've been taking care of the bike. <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely not. Um, like I said, most of us have been there. We, we, we had to learn the industry usually by trial and error ourselves before we, we jumped in and become a mechanics ourselves. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm trying. And I, in fact, for my birthday, one of the things I got was a stand. Okay. So nice. I'm, trying to to learn a little more about yeah maintenance and things like that yeah and ask us questions on it we're happy to to help actually like the the more you can do at home that the easier it is for us yeah there we go well and i did see like there was some event going on that was like a ride and um crank what was it a ride and wrench ride and wrench yeah yeah so that's cool um i i I wasn't able to make that, but, um, I think it, it was, uh, we didn't realize it was a holiday, uh, whoever was planning it. So it's actually this Sunday. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Uh, well, I'm not gonna make that either, but anyhow, no worries. Um, no worries. Okay. Now let's say that I was in really good shape. Okay. And I decided I'm going to really go for it and do the STP in one day, like as fast as I can really go hard. Okay. And I wanted to ride, invest in a road bike that is exceptional. I'm not, okay. you know, I'm not looking for a budget bike. I'm looking for something exceptional. What trek is there right now that you think would really fit that bill of a, you know, of 200 miles and, and the training and everything that you would steer someone to? I would definitely lean towards our Damani SL models. Those are going to be our carbon fiber Damanis. You know, they've got the ISO speed to, to help smooth out the road a little bit more. They're able to put on wider tires, which help, mm. you know, with the impact as well. So it's definitely built to be a, um, it's more upright than say our Madone or our Amanda or our checkpoint. So, you know, you're not having the strain on your neck that you would for doing, you know, 200 miles that you would on those. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Damani is definitely a good choice for for something like that. That's probably not going to happen next year for me. You know, <laughs> sure. I don't know. At this point, I'm feeling like <laughs> I don't know that I'll ever do the STP in one day. My wife is saying, no, you're not doing the STP <laughs> in the future. So we'll see what happens after this experience. But um, yeah. yeah, it's good to know. Well, Adam, I really appreciate you again you taking this, the time to do this. Yeah, and no it was fun. You know, I you might hit you up again sometime for a specific sure. question or something. And I uh, really appreciate you guys there at Trek Tequila. And I'm looking forward to you know, coming in, having the bike gone over and kind of hearing recommendations there. Sure. So, thank you. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, anytime. All right. Take care now. Yeah, you as well. Hope to see you soon. Yep. Bye. Bye. I'm actually not surprised to come away from the conversation with Adam, really confident in my bike. Fitness bikes might not be the most common choice for the STP. I think that more people want the aerodynamics of an endurance bike. It will be interesting to see how many people are on fitness bikes when I'm riding the STP. 
But as far as fitness bikes go, I believe I made a wise choice in picking the FX3. At least for me. I guess I won't have the excuse that my bike wasn't good enough now. I hope you were able to apply that discussion to your situation. One takeaway for everyone is that if you were riding the SDP and you were in the Seattle area, get in early to have your bike checked out. I have mentioned before that I'm a fan of belief. I think I might have called it bay leaf in the past. Well, I've been pronouncing it wrong. I do want to pronounce it right and draw attention to their focus on sustainability. So go to belief.com and check out how they are celebrating Earth Day. That's B-A-L-E-A-F dot com. This is the end of this episode. Good luck with all your cycling adventures. And remember that age is just a gear change. <laughs>